Okay. Make it on record that you'll shut up. Uh, I heard it. Can you start that? Yeah. We're going to study Dr. Zeus tonight. So. Zeus or Zeus? Bob, you're dismissed. <laughs> well, last week, last week, we were talking in Daniel 12 about the idea that in the last days knowledge will increase and we really emphasize that the, uh, the wise would understand. Okay? In other words, it seems to be that, that those people that are, I think, doing what Jesus said, which is continue in his word, they're going to be really aware of what more is going on in the world when this time starts to come upon us. Now, if you're outside of the word of God, you know, then you're, you're going to be uh, doing what the world does, and really, you know, you're just not in the word. And that, that's kind of a real indictment, but uh, it is the truth, I think, because, it, uh, you know, if God was actually revealing things in his word that he hadn't revealed in 15 or 1800 or 2000 years and he had reserved that for the last days for those people that were really, uh, you know, being awakened and following him in his word, then those people that are not in his word are actually just going to not be involved. They're going to be on the outside looking in, and, and I don't mean that from a, you know, they're not in the family, but, uh, you know, that uh, uh, why would we, why is it, uh, you know, some people say, well, why is it necessary? Why do we need to do that, you know? And, I mean, you know, I believe, and I believe Jesus is Lord. I believe in God. I've heard it there, all of them, you know. And, um, uh, you know, as if, though, that that is the, um, you know, the main goal, you know, believe in Jesus, which, you know, the goal of the, the law is to lead you to Messiah. So therefore, you know, one can come to the conclusion that um, if they've done that, then, you know, job done. So um, Jesus says in John 8 verse thir- uh, 31 where uh, the actual NIV doesn't really say it very good, but in the King James it says if you continue in my word, then you are a disciple of mine. Notice he said, continue in my word. You know, the NIV, they, they hold it a little different. It said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. You know, a little different slant, you know. Um, Could you say you're reading from John? Well, that was in John eight thirty one, but uh, as a part of that, uh, whatever. So, um and then, you know, we hear this idea of the letter of the law killeth, but the spirit giveth life. So, you know, what I want to try to uh, do a little bit to begin tonight is to share something with you about the Hebrew language that I, I think is, is interesting and then take uh, off of that a little rabbit trail to show you how it develops. But... Um, you know, and able to be able to do that, you know, you got to understand that Hebrew is a pictographic language. You know, the ancient Hebrew um, really developed from uh, letters that we call letters or symbols, 
and therefore the symbols that were used communicate a concept, okay? Um, you know, then we take the letters, as modern Hebrew even advances, you take the letters and you put them together and the sound and they form Hebrew words and then this is why there's 22 letters and there are, you know, uh, these root words of Hebrew that actually all of these uh, are actually uh, derived from. So, you know, they have a base root word. So if you know the root word and the original meaning of it, you know, then that's going to give you the real uh, foundational context of the uh, what's being communicated from it. And And that's a you know, that's, that's study. That's actually learning uh, something about uh, Hebrew. It's about learning the words. And then, because we've been communicating forever about the terminology. You know, if you're not learning the terminology, then you're going to have a difficult time. I don't care where you sit or how you do. You know, it's the terminology in the word that's being communicated through the Genesis to Revelation. And we get into Revelation and then we're dealing with Greek, and Greek is an abstract language, you know, whereas Hebrew is more of a, you know, concept uh, language where uh, they deal with uh, the five senses, you know, uh, taste, smell, see, hear, and one of the other ones, you know. There's five of them. Anybody name all five? See, feel, taste, smell, or hear? Okay, that's got them right. And so in that, you can see that um, uh, that the Hebrew, all what we're reading in here, since they're an agricultural society, it's all going to be based on that. That's why you're reading the Feast of First Fruits, or when the harvest comes, and now he's talking about souls. It, there, it's all going to be uh, uh, structured in a language of this nature. So if you're not learning the concepts of the language, then you're never really able to, what I call, connect the dots. It'll get a, a deeper meaning from what God is saying. And obviously, the, the, there's a literal interpretation. You know, uh, you know, we look at something, but I believe that, you know, when you continue in the Word and you begin to really learn you know, this is where God is going to, uh, the spirit of the word is going to come alive. You know, so when he's saying the spirit giveth life, it's not that the letter is not necessary and good, but it's that which lies behind the letters that, you know, really bring it to life and deeper meaning. And I'm going to give you an example of that. So hopefully I won't foul this up. But I, How big a chart do we need? Where do I need to start? You don't need a big chart. You just need, to, plan ahead. you just need to know how to draw good. Ox. <laughs> right? There you go. There's a man that's been studying, right? So, so and then you have another letter that looks something like this. It doesn't have to be exactly, but I'm doing it where you can see it. It could be on its side. And, and this is actually the, the second letter of the Hebrew alphabet, which is called Bait. That's the last one. Huh? That's the last letter of it. No, it's the second. Okay. Tav is the last one. Okay. You stand corrected, right? Yes, I do. 
don't do that again. Yes, don't throw me a curveball. I'm not sure I'm ready to hit it. Yes, teacher. Okay. So, you know, and, and this word here, bait, really, originally, is going to be the word for tent. Okay? And so, uh, when you begin to look at this from a pictorial Hebrew ancient script, you see that this is a symbol and it has a relationship to an ox, okay? So when you try to deal with the concept, right, of what, what is an ox, what, what, what does an ox represent? Strength. You're reading books, huh? <laughs> this guy, it's, I ate a plant, you know? You sent him the homework assignment? <laughs> <laughs> he's a good plan I got in here, right? He he's strong, you know. He's a he's a beast of burden, you know. He had the and, and oxes and, and and the bulls were actually used for sacrifice, which really represented the nations, right? But you know the reality is is that it has a symbolic meaning of strength. That he is a strong animal. When you get over to here. And you deal with this one here, believe it or not, in an ancient Hebrew tent, when they bedded down, you know, the males and the females were actually separated. You know? That's kind of interesting, because, see, I, I'm one of these people that, you know, oh, where have we seen that before? When they actually, in the, uh, uh, at the night of the house of the water pouring, in the night when they had the great fires, they separated the women from the men. The, they built these temporary balconies because of the that the men would be out on the uh, temple floor and they had been drinking and who knows, maybe some had drank too much, but they actually separated them. So, you know, that's an interesting part of that. But something else that I found interesting here, which I probably should draw this differently a little bit. i put the females up here. What? Put males there. <laughs> you changed your diagram. Well, you don't have to do that. But what I was going to tell you, what I also saw in this, when I saw was looking at this and studying this, is the fact that is when you when you go into the holy of holies, you know, in the temple, you know, you have the holy place and the actual uh, what they call the veil. You know, that, that which separates the holy place from the holy of holies, which is here. You know, there's this veil that you actually walk like that into it, you know. And the reason it's like that is the high priest can't be touched. He can't touch anything. You know, we kind of think of the guy that goes on the stage and opens it up and goes on out and goes, you know, to do his work. But the reality is he, it's a double-tiered veil that allows him to be able to bear the blood and all this stuff and, and actually, so for me, you know, I kind of saw the relationship between the tent, you know, which actually is the first thing that we see in the tabernacle when they come out of Egypt, he instructs them to build the tabernacle and they have the, in a sense, the portable tab tabernacle is this structure here. You know, and outside that structure, you know, they had the altar and everything, but, you know, that holy of holies and that place there in the holy place, this is where 
God then would manifest his glory. You know, so this is in a sense, you know, and what I really want you to really learn is that this is symbolic of the throne room of God. And so, you know, uh, when we talk about everybody's got access, you know, well, we do in mind, thought, and, 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 and deed, but the reality is, is when we are raptured, if you believe in that, you're going to end up in the throne room. That's just where, you, in, a, in heavenly realm, this is where you're going to end up. You're going to end up in the Holy of Holies, which only one man could go into the Holy of Holies, the high priest, on one time a year. So this thing is growing and expanding and so forth and so on. All right, so that being all said, you know, this word here also, you know, tent eventually evolves, you know, house, right? You know, tent is house. We say it's the house of God. You know, we don't say it's the tent of God. <laughs> but you deal with all of this concept of temporary dwelling, you know, that that this was a temporary dwelling and, and God, you know, we're going to uh, build this concrete or not concrete, but wooden board ta uh, temple that's going to be the house of God. You know, Jesus referred my father's house to the house of prayer. You know, he understands, you know, the relationship to this concept, you know, the house. And in doing so, Paul refers to that we're only here. These are, our bodies are just temporary tents. You know, we're not really in our final building, you know, because Jesus says in my father's house, there are many, really, rooms. And if you really looked at the temple structure, you know, around all of this, there's this hundreds of little rooms all around this. So, you know, this is stuff that he understands, and if you don't have a working knowledge of some of this stuff, you, you know, we say there are many mansions, and then people go off into there, well, I'm going to have a four-story, you know, so that's two, that materialism. The two, the two curtains, that's just strictly like that so that he doesn't have to touch anything. That's right. And, 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 and this right here, this right here is the same way. There's a, there's a curtain here. That, that there are those that believe that when with this curtain here actually has the name, the heavens. And, and that, that when they said that the curtain was ripped, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, you know. I thought it was. That that the one we there are those that believe that this is the one that was ripped, and the heavens were opened. Think of the name of it, you know. Because still, this right here was not necessarily, you know. We can say, well, we can all. Can we really all go in there? <laughs> you might not want to try that if it was on the ground, but you know. But, yeah, symbolically. So when you go to the holy place, you know, the uh, right here is the altar of the bread of the faces. And then you have the uh, menorah, the, the, the candlestick uh, branch, you know, seven candlestick branch. And then the, the, here's the altar of the incense, you know, in this place. And this becomes relevant to our study because... Daniel's telling us that when we get into back into the uh, Matthew 24, that you know that the abomination of desolation is standing in the holy place. Well, you know, those that see this as a 
the place is inside this room here where those three articles exist. You know, those three pieces of furniture. That's where he's going to put the, the so-called erect the image. So uh, we'll, we'll get into that a little later. You know, I will tell you, I think, you know, you, you get these little references and, uh, you know, there were four miracles that uh, uh, in 30 AD, I'm getting sidetracked, but it's kind of interesting, you know, that 40 years, for 40 years until the destruction of the temple, that, you know, um, you, they, they had a, uh, when they did the uh, Yom Kippur and the Day of Atonement, when they chose the the actual goat for who, which one was going to be the Azazel and which one was going to be sacrificed unto the Lord, they did that by the virtue of a black stone and a, a, a white stone, okay? And you get that in your revelations. In the churches, he says, I will give you a white stone. And the white stone was represented to the one unto the Lord. But for 40 years, every year, after the time that Jesus died, it, the black stone always ended up in the left hand. And they go in to tell you the odds of that are so high for 40 years in a row that the stone always ended in the left hand. And we should say, oh, well, that's because the white stone's in the right hand of God, you know, and the, and the Messiah, and so there's a, obviously, but, you know, this is not, you know, they were seeing this. Another one was that, um, you know, that they, the crimson uh, little uh, cloth, they would tie to the doors, uh, you know, probably the Nicanor Gate, and when they, uh, they, they carried the uh, Azazel off and they took the one off of his horn and laid it on the rock, you know, out there when they ran him through the wilderness. You know, if their sins were forgiven, then that crimson cloth would turn white as snow. And from 30 AD, it never turned again. They didn't see that as a good sign either. <laughs> and of course, that's out of Isaiah where he says that your sins be uh, you know, uh, as white as snow, though they'd be crimson, be white as snow, and they knew all that, so they understood that. Um, and then, then the other one was that, uh, let's see, was the, uh, one was the gates, you know, that when they shut the gates at night, the temple guards, which took several, several men because of the weight of them, by the time they came back in the morning, they were open. And, of course, the leading rabbi, uh, you know, um, what's his name? Rabbi Zakai, I think, uh, saw this as being a sign that the nations of the world were going to be able to enter in to God's house and, and defile it in his mind. But, you know, we might see it differently. But, uh, and, you know, what was the fourth one? Uh, the fourth one was... Um, what was the fourth one? Oh, well, I may come to me in a while, but uh, the gate and the that and the rocks and... Anyway, it, amazing stuff, you know, really. But the thing is, is at, for those 40 years, they just, they didn't happen again. And then eventually the temple was destroyed. So let's get back to here. You know, uh, when we combine these two letters, right? That we, A and B... And, 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 and what does that mean? Anybody got a guess? 
Ob. Ob. In Latin. Oh, come on. Well, in Latin. This is really minor stuff. Huh? Strong house. What? Strong house, he said. Oh, strong house. Oh, well, no. Actually, uh, uh, well, you could say that uh, this right here, when you put these two together. Or by? Huh? Does it mean by? Have you ever heard the word Abba? Abba? See, in Hebrew, this word means father. Oh. So when you when you actually put them together, you know, and you put this together, you know, uh, the the strength of the father, and really, you can go father, father, house, the strength of the father's house, and so. You know, the pictorial, the point here is that in ancient Hebrew, these things meant concepts of thought and thing. And as the Hebrew language developed and things actually educate, knowledge shall increase. Look at where we are today. You know, it moved into a language and letters and system where we even got get alphabet from, you know, alphabet. And so, you know, you're, you're seeing a development over time. Now, what I really want to show you is when you put, you, you put this together and then you go and you start looking at some things that are relevant to uh, things that happen in the Bible. Let's see, I think you can go over to, um, we'll start... Um, and, uh, well, you can go to Romans 8.15 and see, you know, that, that this is what's referenced in, you know, by Paul. We might as well, you know, jump over there real quick. <laughs> you see it, don't you? Yeah, so, you know... It says here, uh, verse 4, because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God, verse 14, for you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit, and that says sonship, other says adoption, and by him we cry, Abba, Father, right? The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs and heirs of God and co-heirs with Messiah. And if indeed we share in his suffering in order that we also may share in his glory. And that's a real promise of what this is all about, what we're dealing with, you know. We're just experiencing uh, the uh, how is this all going to take place. I, I, I talked to a gentleman today that, uh, you know, about the idea that, you know, this whole story is about the the fact that this is the restoration of God's creation and the plan that he has for those that are called, you know, to hear the call. And then there are those he's calling to wake up and they need to wake up and 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 then put their efforts into, you know, to knowing God, you know, and the truth of God's word. And that's a process. You don't get this by just sitting watching uh, Married with Children. <laughs> That's probably a good language, a good sign. Yeah. Married with Children, you know, since we're talking about children. Anyway, um, Exodus 13, 3. 
I want you to see something that's going to give us continuity of thought and concept of thought that we're gonna, we, can, we can go through the entire Bible off of this one little thing that we're studying or we're looking at. Yeah, um, I probably need to get that out of the King James because the NIV, that's why I really don't like it. It is a destroyer of thought. <laughs> okay, this is the King James. I don't know what you have, but the NIV, if you got one, you won't get it. It says in uh, Exodus 13, 3, it says, And Moses said unto the people, Remember this day in which he came out from Egypt and out of the house of bondage, for by the strength of hand the Lord brought you out from this place, and there shall no leavened bread be eaten. So you see here that um, they were in the house of bondage, but he's now bringing them out by his strength. And this gets back into the idea of the and the concept of the strength of God's house. Let's go and um, let's look at First um, Samuel fifteen twenty three. First Samuel what? Fifteen. Fifteen. Verse twenty three. Sometimes I have to hope that when I wrote these things down, that they're still. I wasn't in a bad frame of mind. Uh, and I got screwed up. Uh, verse 15, uh, uh, I mean, cha- uh, yeah, chapter, uh, no, verse 15, uh, no, First Samuel 15, verse 23. For rebellion is as, as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness as iniquity and idolatry, because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, and he hath also rejected thee from being king. And Saul said unto Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and thy words and thy word, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now, therefore, I pray thee, pardon my sin and turn again with me that my worship, that I may worship the Lord. And Samuel said unto Saul, I will not return with thee, for thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected thee from being king over Israel. And as Samuel turned away to go away, he laid hold upon the skirt of his mantle, and it rent, or torn. And Samuel said unto him, The Lord hath rent the kingdom of Israel from thee this day, and hath given it to a neighbor of thine that is better than thou. And also, and notice now in the King James, it's capitalized. The strength of Israel will not lie nor repent, for he is not a man that he should repent. Then he said, I have sinned, yet uh, honored me, uh, yet honor me now, and I pray thee that before the elders of my people and before Israel, and turn again with me, that I may worship the Lord thy God. But notice that he's using the phrase, the strength of Israel. Shall not, you know, will not lie or repent, for he is not a man that he should repent. Interesting. 
and other things. All right, let's go to Psalms 27. Might even say the strength, might say the eternal one of Israel, which refers to God. Eternal one uh, of Israel. That uh, where right, so in verse and verse twenty nine, yeah. and it says, and also the eternal one of Israel. Oh, mine too. Yep. Yours too. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well. Well, it gives it says glory of Israel does not lie and uh, it's a capitalized and that yeah well bottom line is is that you know for some reason the um, the king decided to put the word strength and obviously they chose a different word and I cannot really comment on that. I just know what the King James has got on there. So I'll go with another one, and maybe we'll get lucky on number three. Psalms 27. Now, what is in, uh, that is special about Psalms 27? Anybody know? Now, I will, and I'm going to make a comment. And, I, and, you know, I know because I deal with this all the time, you know, in, in doing this. But, you know, reality is, is that this is the real problem with us not really doing this. <laughs> because if you really were doing this, you would know what Psalm 27 represents. That didn't do anything for you? <laughs> it's not condemnation. It's just a fact. And that is... Remember, Psalms 27, you begin as a child of God to read on the first day of Elul, and you're going to read it. It's going to become a part of your reading all the way for 40 days leading up the Yom Kippur. Well, in my opinion, knowing what I know about Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, this is very important because if God thought it was so important to put it into the structure He's really telling you something here, right? And so when you start out, as we, 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 we read this a little while back, it said, what's it start out as? It said, the Lord is my light and my salvation, right? And Jesus is the light of the world, and, you know, he's bringing us salvation. And whom shall I fear? The Lord is what? The strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? You know, remember, the concept is the strength of the Lord's house. So if you're in the house, you're going to have protection of God. And you see this in the wilderness. As long as they remain in the camp and under the cloud, none had no problems. <laughs> then when they went outside of it, that's when they were exposed to the enemies. Now, this, and if we take it into the feminine, and that... Um the Messiah is the groom right. come up, and we understand a relationship in a marriage. The woman is the weaker vessel. The man is her covering. That's right. And this is what we have here. God or is her strength. <laughs> because we are in the feminine gender. Even the males have difficulty understanding that we are placed in the feminine gender. Yeah, I agree with you on that, you know, because there's the concept that's being conveyed that we are the bride, and, you know, men are like, well, wait a second, you know, but the reality is is that uh, that's exactly what is being communicated, you know, through all of this, you know. We are a, 
And that's why we said what? The moon was a picture of the lesser light. The greater light is Messiah, who's representative of God, but we being the lesser light is a picture of the moon. So the moon has a bearing on all of this that we're learning. But these are concepts of teaching and under, rather than, you know, if you don't have a knowledge, a working knowledge of this stuff, you, you don't see these pictures. You don't see the, the, the things that God's communicating through this to you as a person and as a follower and as a child. But, you know, it's very interesting about that. Now let's go back to Exodus 15 too. This does get uh, easier, Jim, to do it your way. <laughs> you only I know how to point that finger, right? You don't have to rattle those pages. Oh, thing is, I can't even do it right, though. The richness that is the Bible is lost if you do not understand the basis for many of the... You know, if you go into Ezekiel and, and you start... Well, and 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 I think that's the thing. You 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 may start with the basic, but the word evolves into complex thoughts of concept of what God is and what He's doing and how He's doing it. And if you you can come in, and I believe that's why we fight this argument. For Moses is taught every Sabbath. If they just say, "I believe." And they go out, well, we believe, so we're now, what are we doing now? Well, uh, let's see, uh, sign up for the puppet, you know, pro, you know, ministry. But see, that's, that's service, but it's not teaching them anything except that, you know, they're being a part of a, you know, ongoing body of things that maybe do a good for all the little kids loved it, but they're not growing in knowledge of the word because they're not actually engaging in the learning of the word and my problem is, is that I think that we went and we took a Greek, uh, you know, uh, mindset of teaching and we threw out the Hebraic part of it. Therefore, when we're teaching people, they all just go around in a circle and they never really learn how all this is connected. And they don't do this. They do the, I hate to say it, the Christmas and the Easter's and that kind of stuff, which is all pagan. They're hunting eggs. But they don't know anything about unleavened bread. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's because we've, we've had this thrown at us for all these years. That Well, we're not under the law. We don't do any of that. And therefore, that which was given to teach us has actually been, uh, uh, you know, thrown away. And now we just revolve around like a revolving door going into a building. And we can't get out of it to be able to. I always say if anybody plays the guitar, you know, you, you really get to C, D, and G. I'm loving this, right? Three years later, C, D, and G, you know? And you get to a point, you go, well, I'm really tired of C, D, and G. <laughs> I want to get down to really being good at it. And it's very difficult to find a way to get over the hump to play, you know, really play the guitar. Oh, anybody can play C, D, and G. You learn that real fast and, you know, process. So it's a, sim a similar thing. But here we see here. Where we at? 15.2. All right. Exodus. Now, Exodus. yeah, Exodus 15.2. Now, you know, and I'm not going to get into, you know, uh, Deuteronomy 32, which is also somewhat a part of this. If you do your own research, you know, then you're going to see that there is uh, this thing called the Song of Moses. So, 
So what, what, how do, what do we know about the Song of Moses except that Moses could sing? Huh? Well, what we do know is after uh, they came through the sea, you know, it's Moses that began to sing. Okay? Now, what I want you to remember and learn is how the, uh, the idea of the redemption that took place here was unbelievable. You know, we're talking about plagues. We're talking about miracles. We're talking about things that are supernatural. And once they're delivered against all odds, they go through the sea and they come to the other side. And it gets to, it says, Then sang Moses and the children of Israel this song unto the Lord, and spake and saying, I will sing unto the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider have been thrown into the sea. Okay? And then it goes, verse 2. The Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will prepare him a dwelling place, habitation, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. Powerful, powerful verse of, you know, uh, really what just took place. And, uh, but you see this concept that it was the strength of God that did all of this. They didn't do anything, but, you know, as I told one guy, uh, you know, when they started grumbling to Moses, uh, Moses finally, the Lord told him, quit talking and start moving. <laughs> Go through the sea. So, you know, now in our, you know, connectivity, we get over into the book of Revelations, right? And we see that this concept of a new song. You know, you're going to see that. When you read the Sabbath, uh, the Sabbath songs, you know, when you go in and you look at 95 and these songs that are sung on the Sabbath, you're going to see this little terminology. They sang a new song. You go to the book of Revelation and you see the 24, they're singing a new song. And I'm telling you, it's because this concept is being relayed to you all the way back to the time of Moses when they went through the sea and he broke out and started to sing. And if you read verse uh, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 32, you're going to see how they're connected with what's going on you're going to get a lot of language there, but it's too right now in depth for us to go into. But what I want to show you right now is the fact that this idea of a new song shows itself also, I do believe, in, um, well, let me write this little thing down here. So what's it say? The horse and the rider. And the rider. And here's the the things that bad about TV, right? So we always say that, you know, uh, the horse and the rider, you know, well, Pharaoh, it was necessary for Pharaoh to die. And yet all the movies show Yul Brenner <coughs> and them, you know, looking and going, hey, government, we lost that when it headed back to back to Egypt, right? But But that didn't happen. You know, Pharaoh... And all of his army drowned in the sea. 
<laughs> that kind of always, that's when I elevate the, when people say, it was probably only six inches deep. Well, that's even more of a miracle. <laughs> you know? Because <laughs> they all drown face down, you know? Uh, so, you know, that people come up with all these things about it couldn't have happened, right? But here's what we really want to, uh, you know, kind of uh, look at and hold on to is Pharaoh. I, I hate spelling Pharaoh, but I, I'll try. Is that right? Yes, sir. Close enough. Pharaoh, right, is going to be in the Bible a picture of the false Messiah. Mm-hmm. Of course. <laughs> Have you seen his little hat with the snake on it? <laughs> right? He's going to be pictured, and there's verses in Isaiah and with that's going to really <coughs> let you know that Pharaoh, you know, is going to be uh, a picture of the false Messiah. And, and notice here that when you deal with Egypt, <coughs> right, you deal with Egypt, Egypt is going to become a picture not only of the world, you know, or the world outside of the kingdom of God, right? But it's also going to end up being a picture of Europe. Or, or we can say Rome, you know, in the last days. So, you know, you, you, you can either take my word for that or do your own research. You'll find out that eventually you're going to see that these and this. So where is the... Uh, the the uh, false messiah going to rise to power? He's going to rise to power out of Europe, and we got we call that the revived Roman Empire. You know where the ten so-called kings come up, you know, and give him the, hit their authority. They let him rule the show, and they all agree with him, and the things get you know kicked off to a bad bad deal. But what we want to what draw on is the fact that you get this term, the horse and the rider, okay? And if you can buy into the fact that Pharaoh is a picture of the false Messiah, then you can go over and you can see another relationship, and that's over in Revelation 6, which we all talk about, but we really don't necessarily know where he's connected And I guess in Revelation 6, what you're going to see here, verse 1, And I saw with the Lamb open one of the seals, and I heard as it were the noise of thunder, one of the four beasts saying, Come and see. And I saw, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat on him had a bow and a crown, and was given a, and a crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. Now, there are those that uh, believe that that is the horse and the rider, right? And that horse and rider is none other than the false Messiah. And then when he had opened the second, he heard the second beast say, Come and see, and there went another horse, and that was red, and power was given to him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth, and that they should kill one another, and there was given unto them a great sword. And I think what you're going to see here in the horses and the riders here, and we could read them all, but we won't, um, is that there's going to be, in the last days when the uh, tribulation period actually is manifested that there's going to be war 
and rumors of war. There's going to be death and uh, conquering of nations and, uh, you know, there's going to be earthquakes and famines and all of these things are going to be, and these are, these are the, the result of the fact that God is allowing this to take place and it's bringing it upon the whole world. Now, we go through the different things that we go through in uh, the book of Revelation and we get down eventually to a, another particular chapter, which is uh, Revelation 15. And we can turn over there. And it says there that, um, and I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having seven last plague, for in them is filled up with the wrath of God. And I, I, now, th this is my understanding of, of, of the timeline, you know, that when you get to the, the middle way period here, this last three and a half years right here, this is when this is all going to start to unfold. This is when God is going to pour out begin to pour out his wrath. You know, in this period of time, you're going to be seeing what I call the jostling of nations to try to, you know, who's going to win what, who's going to do what, who's going to survive, you know, who's going to die, you know, and they're fighting each other, and this is not just a uh, period of time when they're acting like, oh, there's a great peace, because there is no peace. So, anyway, um, it says, and I saw it where a sea of glass mingled with fire, and them that had gotten the victory over the beast and over the, his image and over his mark and over the number of his name stand on the sea of glass having the harps of God. Well, you could kind of say that if you read that and translated that, that, um, that these are the people that were the overcomers, right? And they, uh, and they sing the song of Moses. Oh, well, there it is again the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are the ways uh, thou king of saints, who shall not fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name, uh, for thou only art holy. For all nations shall come and worship before thee, for thy judgments are made manifest. And after that I looked, and behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was opened. And the seven angels came out of the temple, having the seven plague, clothed in pure and white linen, and having their uh, breasts girded with golden girdles. And uh, one of the four beasts gave unto the seven angels seven golden vials, full of the wrath of God, who liveth forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no man was able to enter into the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were fulfilled. But you see here... There's this relationship between the idea of the, you know, it's taking us back, you know, to the redemption that they came out of Egypt with the Song of Moses. Now, there are those that believe that the Song of Moses and the Song of the Lamb are one and the same, you know, because the only real reference you have in the Bible is the Song of Moses. So, you know, whether that's true or not is, uh, we'll, we'll find out. But, you know, um, it's interesting that you have both, in a sense, also you could say the Song of Moses, the Servant of God, and the Song of the Lamb, you know, which is the two sides of the, what we call Old Testament, New Testament. But, you know, the bottom line is, is that uh, there's a connection uh, that is there between the two, you know. So, 
interesting that uh, that is um, the way it is. So let's go and look at one last little place. Psalms. Warren, that, uh, the lamb and the sacrifice, uh, the, the goat and the lamb are interchangeable, but when uh, Isaac was on the altar, God provided a sacrifice. And that sacrifice has gone all the way through through everything. That is the common sacrifice. The lamb is the common sacrifice for, and the goats are the common sacrifice which connect everything together. Yeah, um, um, they, they're definitely a, a, a relationship. So, Psalms 110. Now, you, you, you know, hopefully as you continue to to learn these things. When do you read one, Psalm 110? <laughs> Anybody know? First Psalm of Passover. Huh? I love a person with a good note in their Bible. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> right? It. So it's going to be the first Psalm that you will actually say in or sing, if you can sing, in the Passover, at the end of the Passover, these are the, after everything's been completed, you know, the last thing you do is go through the Psalms, 110 uh, through uh, 118. So uh, let's see what it says. Notice what it says. The Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou at my right hand until I make thy enemies thy footstool. And the Lord shall send the rod of thy strength out of Zion, and rule thou in the midst of thy enemies. And thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power. And I want you to see the relationship between strength and power. And the beauties of holiness from the womb of the morning that <coughs> has the dew of thy youth. And the Lord has sworn and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The Lord at thy right hand shall strike through kings in the day of his wrath. So you can see, even in the Passover at the end, we're really actually speaking about a time yet in the future. Because the day of his wrath is really dealing with that last three and a half year period of Jacob's trouble. So, you know, you're doing the Passover thinking that you're remembering you know this, but yet in the Passover, it's actually pointing to the future, which is, you know, interesting. Notice what happens. He shall judge among the nations, and he shall fill the places with dead bodies, and he shall wound the heads over many countries, and he shall drink of the brook in the way, therefore he shall, shall he lift up the head. He shall lift up the head. Whose head? <laughs> huh? Yeshua. You know, he's the head, we're the body, right? You may not see that if you just read it like, and he should lift up the head. But in the, I'm sure that the word there is Rosh, but I'll check it. Yep. And so um, that's where you get Rosh, Shana, head of the year. So, um, but notice the relationship. We see the strength out of Zion. You know, and and, and Jesus is, the strength of God. <laughs> He's the one that's been given all authority. So, you know, that connection, you know, is all. And when you go and you read the, some of these parables, you know, you're, you, you know you're, there's more there, you know. Maybe, you know, I, I hope you find it a blessing when you, um, 
read further on your own on various other things that um, you'll find interesting. I was trying to see if there was a, um, I know there was something else that, um, anyway, I, I know this, I just don't know exactly where it is in the Gospels, but the very last um, question that Jesus was, had been given when they, he entered into Jerusalem, and you know, what, what date did he enter Jerusalem? Jim? What date did he enter into Jerusalem? Nisan? Yeah. <laughs> we'll call on you when we're ready. <laughs> we were grilling uh, Jim over here. You know. But, uh, no, that's right, Nisan 10, right? Right. Well, so he's entering in, and, and when you go back to the time of Moses, right, what date were they to take the lamb and get a lamb for their coming sacrifice? Very good, Lisa. You know, so so they, you know, notice that that which was given long ago, he's following the pathway. That's why we're telling you that it's interesting that the false Messiah enters into Jerusalem on Nisan 10, which is the halfway point, you know. So it's all connected. And so in doing so... Um, you know, you're, you're, he, he's actually going to uh, be in, uh, given the hardest question. They're inspecting him, <clears throat> you know. They're inspecting him as the Lamb of God, you know, in a sense of the word, as it's given, as he was saying. And, and so the very last question that he's going to get is the one dealing with this right here. He refers to uh, uh, Psalms 110, and he says when... Uh, you know, uh, how can David, who, who, who do they say the Messiah is? And the, they say the son of David. So then why, how is it that he said that my Lord said to my Lord, you know, if he's his son? And he uses this to really make them think about the fact that they really, and you just have to go read it. I, I'm sure it's near the end of Matthew, probably Matthew 22. Yeah, let's go over there. What the heck? You know, Matthew 22. Because, you know, it's really, it's good to know how these things are really a part of the program. Because what we're going into, you know, when we get into Matthew 24, yeah, uh, over here in Matthew uh, 22, verse 41, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, what do you think about the Messiah? Whose son is he? The son of David, they replied. And he said to them, how is it then that David, speaking by the Spirit, calls him Lord? For he said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. <clears throat> and if then David calls him Lord, how can he be his son? course they're sitting there going blah, 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 blah. <laughs> we better go we gotta go don't we got a dinner meeting later on <laughs> no one could say a word in reply and from that day on no one would dare ask him any more questions so i find it really interesting that you know that this is the last question that he's given you know for his inspection before he becomes the actual 
you know, sacrifice of, of such. So, um, very interesting. He was, just as the scapegoat was thrown out, just like Aleppo was thrown out, he was thrown out of the, the city, out of the camp, out of the village, and he went to Mount Moriah, and he was sacrificed on Mount Moriah on the crucifixion. Yeah. That's just where... That which was a shadow becomes reality in time. And, and, and part of, uh, in my awakening, was the very fact that, you know, all of a sudden, you know, if you want to, you know, if you think that the second coming is upon us and the festivals uh, are a, a blueprint of what God is doing, to me it like, you know, when I begin, when you can see the first coming, through the uh, spring feast and how they were fulfilled and all the concepts and, and deep theological really facts are there, then you can really go and say, well, gee, what's in the second coming? Now, you know, we, we don't have, well, the hindsight on the second coming, but we can look at the first coming and see all that was there. And, uh, you know, I think your only conclusion can be is that the second coming is going to be full these uh, of these fall feasts, and they're going to communicate you similar things that you saw in the first coming, and that's why we're studying them. So, back to our study. I think that when we were uh, in Matthew twenty-four, which I didn't bring the same sheets, but I want to say, does anybody know what verse we stopped in? No. Well, what I think if we uh, if you go to uh, back to uh, uh, Matthew twenty four, obviously the thing that we want to see here is the fact that um, in the beginning phases of this, you're going to begin to see the. Um, the concepts of really, and this is the difficult part, that's why we have a preterist group. Do y'all know who the preterists are? Hmm? John? Are you a member of the preterists? Jim. Well, preterists believe that what you're reading in the book of Revelations all happened in 70 AD in that period of time. That it was all fulfilled. So they that that their viewpoint, you know, that's right. Were they written after seventy A.D. though? Okay. God has given me a gift, and it's woo. So, anyway, when we were reading and we came through, well, to uh, the different things. What I want you to really see more than anything else is that you know there's going to be a strong parallel. To what happened in the uh, to up into seventy A.D. and 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 there and after, not just seventy A.D. but you know in the beginning stages of this thing, uh, the, uh, the body of empowered believers going forth. You know that's actually going to include the Gentile world, which was a very controversial thing. They knew they would come. You know, but they believed that the Gentiles would be subservient more to them. You know, like, well, like Paul says, do the Jews have an advantage? Certainly. Why? 
because they're involved in the cultural Torah of everything that God has been laying out from the beginning. So their ability, empowered by the Spirit, should give them the ability to see things that God is doing up to a point that God allows it to be so. And I say that because I believe in the last days, God is taking the blinders off and people are seeing things that they've never seen before in the Word of God. So, you know, they because that's just the way it is, you know, as he, as he pours out his spirit. So, you know, we want to bear that in mind. Verse 24, uh, I mean, chapter 24, verse 14 said, And then this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. And, you know, my position there is simple. That's why the 144,000 are anointed protected of God, first in Jerusalem for the first three and a half years, then in the nations for the last three and a half years, they're preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God as it's supposed to be preached. In other words, the Jehovah Witnesses, they didn't pick them to do it. He didn't pick the Baptists. <laughs> he didn't pick the Methodists or the Catholics. He picked his own people that were actually Torah-observant Jewish people that became believers that Jesus was the Messiah. And they're taking the message of the gospel of the kingdom of God into Jews first and then the nations of the world, which is the same pattern in the, in the first coming. It was to the Jew first and then to the Gentile world. So, And then he said, and then the shall the end come. And then it goes on, it says... Uh, when you therefore shall see the abomination of desolation, for, uh, verse 15, spoken by Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand, let them which, uh, which be in Judea flee into the mountains. Now, if you do any homework on the abomination of desolation, right, you're going to find out that that most people are going to relate it back to Antichaius. I'm having a roadblock there on his name. Epiphanes, right? Yep, that's it. Which is basically just saying, you know, uh, God manifested in Greek, but, you know, he's going to become the guy that is a bad guy. He's a bad guy. And he's going to come in... But the reality is Antichaius does not erect a statue in the holy place. He actually defiles the altar of God and make, uh, sacrifices a pig on it, you know, and therefore and so, so forth. But when you read a lot of people that say, oh, the abomination that Daniel talked about. So they say, oh, well, Daniel... You know, and if, if you look at the arguments in, in Daniel about the, the way it unfolds, it, it's because of the fact that Daniel seems to have this stuff so down so good, it's like it must have happened, and then he wrote about it. And that's the controversy. But the reality is, is that, you know, the, you know he becomes uh, one of the three kings, uh, uh, the Seleucid rulers that actually take power, and then... He, he's making war against the other, uh, uh, one of his other uh, guys in his group that were over Egypt, and he gets uh, upset and he comes back and basically takes it out on Israel. 
But the, 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 uh, the thing about him is he does stop the daily offering and he does basically say, you can't keep the Sabbath, don't get caught with the Torah scroll, you know, um, you can't circumcise your child. So he's definitely a bad guy. But he never erected a statue in the holy place. Mine says the altar, he put up an altar on top of the temple altar. Just an altar on top of Zeus. Right, but not in the holy place. Uh, it just says on top of the temple altar. Yeah, his, his desecration dealt with the altar. Okay? So, but Jesus didn't say that. Y'all believe this word's inspired, right? <laughs> and it's literal, but it's inspired. And we know where the holy place is, right? The holy place is right here. You know, that's the holy place. It has a room. It's a name, right? So this so-called false messiah that's going go to put an image, erect a carved image, and I, find, I saw one, I wanted to get a picture for you. I was riding down over by uh, Main Street Daphne, and there's a church right out there next to one of these, uh, you know, Masonic Lodge things on the corner of the street where you go back out to 98. But I saw a church, and he's out there. He's on, he, he, uh, uh, on, a, on a pole, you know, a carved image, and I was going to get you a picture of it. But if you go by there, you know all of you go by there at some time, just notice that little thing sitting out there. Now, and I'm not going to tell you, but I find, I find all this highly interesting in how this is developing in that. Because it's not, it's not that we're desecrating Jesus, but the Bible goes through a whole lot of effort to tell you he really wasn't anybody to look at, and he wasn't this, and he wasn't that. And, you know, there is no picture of him. But now we've created an image and now the image becomes the focus of worship. Think about how this is rolling downhill. And we're now going to be talking, if the true saints of God are removed, you've got a whole group of people out here with an education level of what? Zero. <laughs> well, thank you. Kindergarten. We believe, we've seen miracles, but we have no knowledge. You know? And so, in doing so, they may be easily misled... Because what they have seen and heard is what we've been uh, seen in, in Christianity for the last 2,000 years or 1,800 years. So, going back to this. So, if it's not Antichias, then who is it? Who did this? Who erected an image in the holy place? St. Nick? <laughs> no, wasn't Saint Nick, but it was Manasseh, and so you know Manasseh. If you go back and read about King Manasseh, he's going to actually erect a, a carved image, an astro, what they call a, well, I'll probably really. Wrote a, it's a carved image in, in, in the holy place, in the house of God. He actually had two of them. In the Talmud and some of the rabbinical records, they're the ones that say that he's the one that put it in the holy place, which is really interesting because if that's true, right, then 
maybe there's something to learn about what's happening with this so-called situation here. Because, you know, do you, do you really know the story of, 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 of Manasseh? Probably not, but he, you know, he was a king that was, you know, he just did bad things, you know. He, he brought in Baal and all this stuff, and he was, uh, you know, basically, uh, you know, a man of the world, you know, in a lot of ways. And so uh, what eventually happened, though, is they have a little language in there. What happens to him, it says that a, they placed a <laughs> hook in his jaw. We've seen that before. You know, if you go read about Ezekiel in the latter days, you know, he's going to place a hook in their jaw and turn them around and bring them back. And, and so, you know, it very well might be language that uh, enlightens us about that time, but they take him off to Babylon, you know, and eventually he actually repents, which you don't hear much about because he's such a bad bad character on what he did here. And then his, his, his son, you know, comes in, Amon, you know, and he, he just as bad, if not worse. And there are those that believe that when you get to the uh, fourth year of the tribulation period, that these kings are going to start to show you things, and then the, after him is uh, going to be... Uh, there's Manasseh Amon, and then there is, uh, uh, no, Josiah is the last last king. I can't remember him right now. But they're going to show you things and give you clues about things that are going to happen in the last years of the tribulation. Eh, you can believe that or not. But but we do know that uh, that this is, in a sense, what Jesus is referring to. Daniel is referring to it. And the thing about, you know, the, the most read and studied books in the first century were what? You know? In the time of Jesus was Daniel and Enoch. So all that language that we're dribbling out of Enoch and out of Daniel was real on their minds. You know, this was like the topic of conversation amongst all of these people. You know, the, these people were talking about, and then here comes this rabbi, and he's talking about all these things. And so, you know, uh, they they were they knew what he was saying. So anyway, uh, let, and, and then, of course, it let them uh, which be in Judea flee into the mountains. Okay? And that happened... With, with Antichias, uh, even that, because that's where the Maccabeans fleed into the mountains, you know, and then it happened in 70 AD. So you can't get lost in the fact, oh, yeah, yeah, it had a trimming there, but it was really pointing to the end time, the end end times, okay? So um, verse 17, let him which is on the housetop not come down take anything out of his house, Neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes. And woe unto them that are with child and to them that give suck in those days. But pray ye that your flight be not in winter, neither on the Sabbath day. Oh, they must be doing something Jewish. For then shall be great tribulation. So you see that 
line there from that uh, that that abomination being erected. Now we're going into the last three and a half years. Such was as not since the beginning of the world to this time, nor ever shall be. And except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. And we're going to look at that term, the elect's sake. Then if any man shall say unto you, Lo, here is Messiah, or there, believe it not, for there shall rise false messiahs and false prophets and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they should de- uh, shall deceive the very elect. Behold, I have told you before, wherefore, if they shall say unto you, Behold, he is in the desert, go not forth. Behold, he is in the secret chambers, believe it not. For as lightning cometh out of the east and the shineth even unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For whosoever the for wheresoever the carcass is, there will the eagles be gathered together. Okay? So let me put me a little mark right there. So you're you're seeing this idea that you, you should be able to see that in the, after the three and a half year mark in the tribulation, when the false Messiah comes in and does his thing. He's actually, and there's going to be others, and they're all going to be doing powerful miracle things and signs and wonders. And I would tell you, if a man showed up here at First Baptist Church, started healing folks, there'd be a lot of people that would, you know, they'd already have him labeled, right? Okay. So that's not an uncommon thing. And that, you know, I think this is the part of when it's talking about the deception, if it not be shortened. I think that shortened it to three and a half years. It's got a time frame to it. So let's go and let's uh, finish right here on this concept of the elect because it's a uh, a debated uh, issue. Let's go to Isaiah 42. One, and I say debated, but you know who are they really? Well, one would say that it's Messiah. So here is my servant whom I uphold. Verse one. My chosen one. Now, that word there, chosen one, is going to be the word they're they're using for elect. Does anybody have where it says chosen one, my elect one? Oh, would you read that, please, ma'am? My elect one in whom my soul delights? We don't want you to read too much. Oh, you want me to read everything? No. What do you want me to read? Just read the verse. Behold, my servant whom I behold, my elect one in whom my soul delights, I put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the Gentiles. He will not cry out nor raise his voice, nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. Yeah, thank you. Okay. And, and you can see right there, the servant of God, the servant of the Lord, is Messiah. He's the elect one. No, no problem, right? All right, let's go to Isaiah 45, 1. You might become the main reader, Lisa.
this is um, I read you that one, Lisa. Thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have held, to subdue nations before him and loose the army of kings, to open before him the double doors so that the gates will not be shut. I will go before you and make the crooked places straight. I will break into pieces, I will break in pieces the gates of bronze and cut the bars of iron. It will give you the treasures of darkness and hidden riches of secret places, that you may know that I, the Lord, who call you by your name, am the, am the God of Israel. For Jacob, my servant's sake, and Israel, my elect, I have even There you go. Him. Thank you. Right there where you see it, verse 4. For the sake of J Jacob, Israel, my servant of Israel, my elect. So here you're going to see that Israel is going to fall under the title of the elect. He'd be in the one, but the elect, right? Mm -hmm. All right. Let's go to Isaiah 65. And I, it, uh, start down in verse 9, Lisa, please. I will bring forth descendants from Jacob and from Judah an heir of my mountains. My elect shall inherit it and my servants shall dwell there. Okay, so you see it right there. I will bring forth descendants from J Jacob, Israel, and from Judah those who will possess my mountains. My elect ones or elect people will inherit them and there will, and there will my servants live. So you see that, you know... Um, and I, I'm gonna I'm gonna phraseology this as the house of Israel, and I do that because of the fact that these are the ones that are going to actually be the elect ones that are going to inhabit, you know, the land. Okay, doesn't it say it like that? Well, possess my mountain. You know, however you want to call it. And I say the house of Israel because this is one of these things that we get into where Paul says, for don't you know all of Israel shall be saved? <laughs> and everybody goes, well, what does that mean? You know, there were plenty of Jews that didn't believe and they get into all of this. But he's making a statement in that little place in Romans 11 and 12 where he's talking about you know, don't boast against the natural branches because you're a wild olive branch, but you're grafted into what? You're grafted into the tree of Israel or the house of Israel. So don't be thinking that you're something better than they because you're not, basically. You know, the only difference may be is those people haven't come in yet. But there, you, you don't have an advantage over them. There, and you see this, you know, this is what's happened in the last 2,000 years. You know, people have sought to destroy the, a person that was Jewish because, he, you know, they killed Jesus, you know, and that's, uh, everywhere. But, but the point is, is that they also, so you can say that, in my opinion, when you, you say it like this, 
And we know about the inhabiting of involved both Gentile and Jew. And that's my point. That that's what these are. These are the houses, both Gentile and Jew. Because we're grafted in to the tree. So let's go to 6522. Um, 733, Warren. Yeah, we're fixing to call it a day. Um, verse uh, 22, chapter, chapter uh, 65, same chapter. No longer will they build houses and others live in them or plant and others eat. For as the days of a tree, so will be the days of my people. My chosen ones, and that's going to say the elect ones, will long enjoy the works of their hands, and they will not toil in vain or bear children doomed to misfortune. For they will be a people blessed by the Lord, they and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer, and while they are speaking, I will hear. And the wolf and the lamb will feed together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox, but the dust will be the serpent's food, and they will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountains, says the Lord. So you can see here that there's coming a day when we're going to inhabit the land. Now, to me, the, the, the greatest misconception for people that are children of God is they have a Greek mindset of salvation. They see things in a sense, well, we're going to be taken up to heaven and we're going to be up there, and Lisa's going to be playing the piano, beautiful melody, and Warren will be over there with the violin, and Bob will have a harp, you know, Ann will have bongos, Charles will have drums, John will be over there, you know, fluting. Fluting? And Jim will be singing. And, uh, you know, Lord help us. what do you want to do? <laughs> what, what instrument do you want to play? <laughs> She'll have the little, the little thing that the guy in the band has that makes that little racket, you know, and I'm always thinking, oh, he's got a little, I can do that, I think, you know. But, um, <laughs> no, you know, that a little, yeah, some kind of little thing that just makes a little sound, you know. Yeah, that, that's, too, that's, too, that's too foreign for me. But my, my point is, is that they really do, think that this is all about you know going to this place and that's going to be eventually manifested and and it's going to be a uh, uh, a heaven you know mentality and that's a more of a Greek modernistic mindset of really what salvation's all about from a Hebraic perspective salvation really is about what you're reading about that God is going to bring salvation to the land He's going to bring the land back to life. You're going, the, the crops are going to grow and the bountiful. There's going to, I always say to people, it's going to be real life, real sun, real moon, real everything because he's restoring it. Because we're not leaving, we're man. staying. He gave the earth to man. Huh? He gave the earth to man. Right. The earth is laid for man. So, you know, um, but that's a... The Hebraic perspective is just what I'm telling you. They're reading this. You know, this a lot of that type of mindset comes out of what we call the Old Testament. But if you read it for what it says, it's really giving you a picture of the fact that God is restoring the earth and the nature, the lamb and the lion, you know, and all of these things. There's not going to be uh, the war. And in here you also see 
children are still being born. So what does that tell us? If there's still birth. Huh? It's a thousand year period. We're not, we haven't reached the world to come yet. So the, the period of time that's coming, right, that we believe we're at, is this millennial reign when all of this is going to be manifested and the people of God are going to actually begin to actually inherit the land and it's going to, you know, it's going to be what we all believe in and what we're all hoping for and what we're all counting on, I hope. So uh, anyway, uh, we'll pick up there when we come back. But I hope you can see when it talks about the elect that it's got a multi-dimensional definition. It's not just, you know, uh, you know those people. You know, or it could be both Jews. And I believe that Gentiles and Jews are going to be saved by the thousands during this period of time. So they are the elect ones. And if it not be for that, that you know, the, the, it's for them that the days are shortener. They probably not them live. So anyway. All right, let's go ahead and close, and then if we want to talk a little bit, we can. Lord, thank you for your word. We thank you for the spirit of God that lives within us and that leads us and guides us and comforts us through all these things that we experience. You know, we pray for those people out there that are suffering and people that are in pain, and, uh, you know, we know there was a bad wreck at, up on 225 in somebody's life, and uh, it was not only ended a couple of people, but other people that knew them, they, their life was shaken early in this morning. And uh, I just can't help but think about, you know, the comfort that they need right now. Uh, we just ask that you bless us and uh, keep us safe and keep pouring your word into us and, and let the Spirit lead us and guide us and let us uh, see how gloriful everything is that you put together that we can share it with others and you know, let them see the joy that we have from talking about it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right. So, anyway... Um